Hey entrepreneurs, it feels like a privilege to have had the conversation that you're about to listen to today. We talked to Patty Block about how she helps women business owners in their area of expertise increase revenue, decrease stress, and run the company their way. Our conversation takes all sorts of twists and turns from stereotypes that women have of themselves from stereotypes that men have, the gifts that women have naturally, the gifts that men have naturally, why we should be careful with our words and what hidden messages and micro-messaging they may be communicating that we may not mean. How do you demonstrate support of women in the workplace? These are all questions and topics that we talk about. You're going to want to buckle up for this exciting ride with Patty Block. Patty, welcome to the Entrepreneurs United podcast. Rich and I are excited to talk with you today. I see you're the founder and president of The Block Group. You've been doing that for quite a while now. Uh, can you tell us a little bit more about what The Block Group does before we dive a little bit back into your background? Sure, and thanks for having me today. I work with women business owners who are experts in their fields, and I help them generate more revenue with less stress and really learn to run their company their way. There's a lot of, I think, misunderstanding, especially for smaller companies in terms of who has the answers. And as women, we often think somebody else has the answers and we tend to not trust ourselves. So part of my mission is to help women become more confident and price their services for value so that they can run their company their way. Okay. I love that. And, you know, I, I definitely need to go right here, right away, Patty. Why just women? Because I do feel uh, even myself when I've been running companies, you know, I question myself, is this the right answer? Maybe somebody else knows a better answer. And I have this imposter syndrome type feeling so I can connect to everything you just said. Why do you focus on only women? So it's nothing against guys. <laughs> and in fact, I've raised two sons and a daughter. Okay. So it's really more focused on two things. One is where I believe I make the biggest impact is with other women business owners. And the second issue is that we as women have been conditioned to believe certain things, to have certain stories in our heads that really holds us back. And in particular, I want to share with you that when I was growing up, my mom used to make these fabulous cookies. The whole house smelled good. It was warm. The cookies were gooey. And all my life, I watched my mom eat the broken cookies. But it wasn't until I was a teenager that I even thought to ask her, why do you only eat the broken cookies? Do they taste better? And she laughed and said, no, I eat the broken cookies so you can have the whole ones. And not too long ago, I saw this really shocking statistic. 62% of women rely on their business for their primary income, and 88% of women business owners make less than $100,000 a year. And all of a sudden, this image of my mom eating the broken cookies popped in my head. And I recognized that this is a pattern that I have seen since I started my company in 2006, and I didn't have language around it. I didn't know exactly what I was seeing. Now I do, and I call it the broken cookie effect. And what that is, is that we as women undervalue ourselves, we underprice our services, and then we over deliver. Hmm. 
And what happens when we do that is that we create a self-imposed glass ceiling in our business. And that is exactly what I have observed and also done in my own business and started really connecting the dots and recognizing that we can beat the broken cookie effect with a several step process. And that is what I teach is how to price for value, how to shift your thinking, and then how to talk about that in a very confident way. And again, as women, we have, uh, we tend to avoid. And so that is why I focus on women business owners, because I think we face different challenges than the guys do. And often we're pulled in a lot of different directions and taking care. I know in my case, I was a single mom of three kids and raised them on my own. And now I'm the primary caregiver for my mom. So there's a generational piece for women that I'm not saying it's not there for guys, but it's different for guys. Yeah. Uh, There's two books that come to mind and not that I have to bring everything back to a book that I've read, but the, <laughs> the two books that come to mind right off the bat are men are from Mars, women are from Venus, right? We're just different. We're, we're made different. We think different, everything different. And the other book that comes to mind is give and take. Uh, Rich, you probably remember who the author is of that one. I can't remember off the top of my head, but um, I don't know. I don't know if you've ever read that book, Patty, uh, give and take. Uh, it's a fantastic book. I, I, I enjoy reading because it it's all about, you know, you, there are givers and there's takers. Uh, and I think what you're kind of talking about here is Adam Grant, by the way, uh, wrote Give and Take, a fantastic book. And it talks about the fact that there are just some people in life that just take, 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 take. They price you high and they don't deliver enough service and they just take from you and they run on to the next one. And then there are givers. There are people who just give, 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 give. And give and take is all about really that magical balance between giving and taking, which I think is what resonates with me when you're talking, which is you know, you put this this self-imposed glass ceiling because you charge a little bit less, but you over-deliver and, you know, and it just seems like it, c- it connects to our females more just wired to be givers uh, than takers to begin with. And I think what you try and do is help balance them to that give and take mentality. Yeah, charge a fair rate, but deliver. Exactly. And there's no problem with women delivering. We definitely deliver and in fact, over-deliver. And we don't worry too much if it's out of scope because then it feels like conflict, right? We don't want anybody to push back or we really don't want people to dislike us, right? I want everybody to like me and love me. So I don't want to create a situation where they're upset with me. And again, first of all, that's not very realistic because you can't control how people feel. But also we worry so much about that that then we're losing focus on the things that are really important, like delivering on your promises. Patty, I have four daughters and it, and I see some stereotypes that if my wife and I are not conscious of working with our daughters on, that they fall into that do not serve them. Um, I'm curious as to some of the stereotypes that you see. I'm happy to share some that I see or how we go about that, but um, you're the expert. I'm just a dad. So I'd love to hear what are some of the stereotypes that you see that women grow up with that 
parents may be able, because there are a lot of parents who are also entrepreneurs that listen to the podcast. So as a, a parent of a girl growing into a woman, what can a parent do? So first, what are the stereotypes? And what do you feel a parent can do to disempower those stereotypes? It's a great point. Some of it is generational. So when I was growing up, there was definitely a double standard in my house. I wasn't raised to be a breadwinner. I was raised to get my education, get married, and have a family. And I did all those things. And all of a sudden, I'm 35 with three little kids and a surprise divorce. And I think, how can that happen when I did everything right? But the truth is, there's no right answer, right? There are expectations. And I, so I think as a parent, and I've certainly gone through this with my kids, is to try and raise them with expectations that are not gender-based. So I raised my daughter to be a breadwinner as much as I did my sons. And I think that is very helpful. But let me share with you one of the, the traps that I have fallen into personally. And that is the stereotype of the good girl. And i that's why when I'm 35 and have a surprise divorce and three little kids, I'm so shocked because I was always the good girl. I followed the rules. I did what was expected. My goal was not to meet expectations. It was to exceed expectations. I was the straight A student. I was, you know, went to get an advanced degree all of those things. And what happens is, as we grow up, we realize that the good girl only serves us at some level. And after that, we start to realize that perhaps I can bring innovative strategies to what I'm doing. I don't need to follow a cookie cutter pattern. So then we start innovating and experimenting, especially for business owners. And that is exciting and fun. And I know it has been for me. But every once in a while, the ghost of the good girl pops up her little head and reminds me that I haven't left that behind. So what happens is I was in a mastermind group and we're working through an exercise and the leader says, so let's start by filling in the blanks here and sharing all your thoughts. And I'm thinking, oh, great. I have to get the right answer. There's a right answer, and it's my job to find it. And I'm thinking, there's the ghost of the good girl, right? Because there is no right answer. And it's not my job to find that. My job is to create the right answer for me. And so those traps that we fall into as kids, whether it's the rebel or the good girl, or something else, those at some point in our life, we're going to realize that we do not have to follow that stereotype. And then what do we replace it with? And what happens when it manifests, even though we think we left it behind? So that's something that I actually teach. That's part of the mindset shift. And it's also part of being kind to yourself because that old thinking and old behavior will come up again. It just will. That's the ghost of the good girl. And it's so ingrained in us. So learning to be kind to yourself and 
knowing that it's going to come up again, but that you have a new way of thinking and believing and being. And for me, that's been game changing. Yeah. And I don't feel the need that in this conversation will constantly juxtapose girls and boys or men and women. But I would say having a stereotype image of oneself, I think is very human. And then becoming more mature and more aware of it and understanding where that belongs and understanding when it needs to be replaced and what it needs to be replaced with is very mature and emotional maturity. I think what you're saying is the stereotypes that you see women have of themselves, there's a pattern to them. And that pattern is what you feel you have expertise with more so than there's a pattern of stereotypes that men fit into that they have to learn what to replace. Well, that's not what you're an expert at. You're an expert at understanding the patterns of the stereotypes of women. Is that uh, an accurate description of what you do and where your expertise lies? It is. It's a great description. And part of what we experience as women is oppression. And it takes many, many different forms. Often it's being left out. So um, if a man and a woman are sitting at a dining table in a restaurant and the waiter presents the check to the man, that is a form of oppression. Because it could be that the woman's paying the bill. But there is this assumption. And those kinds of assumptions help women feel left out, avoided, in some way less than. And that is, I think that's why people are celebrating 50 years of Title IX because that's part of what that legislation did was it said to girls and women, you can perform in scholastics, in sports, in many different worlds, you can perform and achieve in the same way that men do. And it was a step towards lifting that level of oppression. So I don't wanna give the impression that poor me, I'm a woman and I always feel one step down. That's not at all where I'm coming from. Where I'm coming from is women have the power, but they may not recognize it because of the way we've been conditioned. So I want to help women turn up their power to price, to sell, to run their business their way and not feel like somebody else has the answer. I'd love to get your take on a concept that I'll put in in front of us to talk about. And I will say I am not an expert at the concept. Um, So you're not in the conversation playing a guessing game on uh, what I know, because I don't. I have heard many coaches talk about there being a natural masculine energy. And it's just natural. And there being a natural feminine energy. What is your perspective on that those energies exist? And I'll start I'll start with that and I'm sure I'll have a follow-up question. Do you believe in your practice there's a natural masculine energy which is neither good nor bad and there's a natural feminine energy that is neither good nor bad. It just is. Men and women are different and their energies are different. 
Yes, I would agree with that. Now, I would not say that I was an expert in that, but I have an opinion. Yeah, I'd which, love to hear it. So here's the, the real difference as I see it. Women have certain gifts and men have certain gifts, and we bring that to everything we do. So women in particular have the gift of intuition and perception. Men can have that. Men can develop that but they're less likely to lead with that. And the distinction I make between being perceptive and being intuitive, when you're intuitive, you're tuning into yourself. When you're perceptive, you're tuning into others. And because women typically have both, and often we lead with that, that emotional intelligence helps us build relationships. So often that is a huge advantage for women if we recognize it, and if we know how to tap into that. And again, it's not to say men don't have that, but often they don't lead with that. Or the ratio of those gifts naturally showing up without work is higher in women versus men. Um, Do you have a take on the gifts uh, of men that are typical? So if a woman's typical gifts. When I hear typical, I hear, I usually work with like an 80-20 rule. So 80% of women are going to have this energy about intuition and perception. 80% of men are going to have a gift of confidence. Men are typically, they lead with confidence. They lead with an opinion. They typically have less fear of speaking up and speaking out. For women, we are so relationship conscious that we often are afraid. Again, people won't like us. They won't respect us. They won't take us seriously. Most of the time, men assume they're being taken seriously. And if they're proved wrong, then they deal with it. Women do the opposite. We assume we're not being taken seriously. And so we want to lead with tuning into others, giving to others, building those relationships and building the trust so that people do take us seriously. So often we feel like we have to prove ourselves first. And so that confidence is not what we lead with. And with guys, I see most of the time you are leading with confidence and you are not afraid to give your opinion or to speak up. It's much more comfortable for you Again, in a really broad generalization, but that is the difference that I've seen. Now, I know it's not as binary as the question that I'll ask next, but would you generally say that's something that you work with women on is becoming more confident? And if there were the male version of you, would you generally say they should work with men on intuition and perception? So that's an interesting question. And I hesitate at the word should because I don't think it's a question of should. I think it's a question of want. So if men want to tap into their intuition and perception and build different types of relationships, I think that's admirable. And and there are, plenty of guys out there who have done that and are doing that. 
it's the same for women. It's not that we should build our confidence. The question is, do you want to? And what does that do for you? So when I talk about generating more revenue with less stress, what does that buy you? Why would you want more revenue, aside from the obvious reason, of making your company bigger, better, stronger? All of those things are true. But most of the women that I work with don't necessarily want a bigger company. The idea of scaling is not really appealing to them because that creates a whole new set of problems, more people they have to take care of. But generating more revenue means you have more money you can take out of your business. You can help yourself, your family, your community in a whole different way when you don't have stress around money. So that is the focus that I bring. So it's really about what the business owner wants. And men are much clearer about that than women are. And women go into business, they build their business, and they start hiring people. Well, they're providing jobs, which is great, but there's often a toll to pay because then they feel as though they have to take care of that, those staff members before they take care of themselves goes back to the broken cookie effect. And there's no reason that a woman business owner shouldn't have the whole cookie. And yet she continues to live on crumbs because she's continuing to take care of people. So there are traps that we fall into. And one of those traps is what should I do? And that is really what I, I teach is it doesn't really matter, especially at this point in the game, when you've reached a point where you're a business owner, it's about what you want, not what you should do. And in addition to helping with the mindset issues for women, I also help them with the mechanics. So I'm helping them develop the strategies and then implement those strategies, like building a pricing model. So there's a structure and a rationale. I help them deal with their technology issues. I help them determine how many staff members they want and how many do they really need because that, that's a different dynamic. And so using practical methods to run your business your way is the totality of what I'm talking about. What do you want and how do you want your business to thrive? What do you want to achieve? Everyone I work with is a high achiever. And in fact, most business owners are. It's one of the reasons they go into business for themselves because they're high achievers. And what does that mean for you? I know what it means for me. And what does it mean for you as an individual? So I think some of this is taking away that overarching, you should run a company this way. This is the best way, the only way. I just don't think that's true. I think we have to figure out the best way for each of us. Well, I understand the people who you work with are business owners. I'm curious on your belief if they're, where is the room for chivalry in a relationship where I open the door for my wife? She waits at the door for me to open it. We talked about that. And that's something that I would like to give her is uh, doing that. I was taught by my grandfather to work close uh, to walk closest to the street and have her walk on the other side. In part, I think that came from 
um, horse and carriage that the wheels of the carriage would get into a rut and splash water up. And if it was going to splash water up, it should go on the man and not the woman. So where's the place for things like that in a relationship or is there? And then how much of that, if there is a place for it, how much of that extends to the workplace? Should men be opening doors for women or should men be going, you can open your own door? I think it's a different question. It's not, should men be opening the door for women? It's the relationship. What does each party in the relationship want? So again, I'm going from a should to a want. Yeah. So I taught my children, all of my children, male and female, to open the door for others. I hold the door open for others. I think the chivalry is not gender-based. It's about respect. It's about being polite and kind and generous. So whether you prefer it to be gender-based or not, I don't really have an opinion on that, but it depends on the people in the relationship and what they want. And it may make your wife feel super special that you hold the door open for her. In which case that's lovely and kind and respectful. And there may be times she holds the door for you. So again, I don't think there's a should. I think there's a want. What does I either party in that relationship want? And that is what makes the relationship healthy. If your wife was offended when you open the door for her, she would let you know, right? And then you would either need to discuss it or adjust your behavior or figure out some path forward if she was offended. But since she's not, and it makes her feel special, keep doing it. That's lovely. So, Patty, I want to jump in here. First of all, I'm going to not use the word should the rest of this podcast because uh, a couple times you got us on that one. It's not should, it's one. I love that correction. So I'm going to not use that word. Uh, And I got to phrase it a little bit differently here. Good luck, John. It's going to be hard. I'm going to try. I'm going to try. (laughs) So um, as male uh, individuals ourselves. Uh, I know that I work with several female entrepreneurs, uh, and female executives, which I like to call intrapreneurs. They're in a company, but they're also still trying to build wealth and build something for their families and everything else, but they're not necessarily the owner of the business. They're high level executives. How do I know what they want? Because this executive may want this, this female entrepreneur may want that, This one may want her to have the door open for her. This one may not. Uh, And and so how does one determine in a working environment where you're working with female executives or entrepreneurs, how do you figure out what they actually want um, in terms of how you would uh, coach them or lead them or help them uh, get along? And maybe maybe a different way to phrase this is any coaching advice on how male entrepreneurs should interact with female entrepreneurs in in a leadership environment? Honestly and directly, ask them. Women have gotten better at speaking up. So there are, in every relationship, there are responsibilities. So in the relationship you're describing, a male business owner and a female business owner or a female executive, each person has responsibility in that relationship. So if either of you doesn't like 
something that was said or done, you have the responsibility to speak up. You don't have to scream and yell and, you know, be disrespectful. You can be very respectful and say, you know, John, I really appreciate you opening the door for me, but it's really not necessary. I prefer to open the door for myself. Okay. But you could also ask me, you could say, I'd like to open the door for you, but I don't want to offend you or make you feel uncomfortable. Yep. How do you feel about that? It's a level of respect to ask the question. And that is what every human on earth wants is a level of respect. So that's what I would say is if, and I know there's a lot of fear, especially in our current society where things are, everything is political, everything is controversial, whether or not you want to be politically correct, quote unquote. So in a former life, I was a political consultant and a lobbyist. And so I come from that world where there were very few women lobbyists at the time that I was doing that work. And all the deals were made on the strip club and the golf course. And I'm a young mother of three kids. I'm not going to a strip club to make a deal. So I had to be very creative and innovative to get the deals done and not take offense to that. It was not anything personal. It was not against me. It excluded me, but I chose to be excluded in that situation. I chose not to go to the golf course. I would not have been welcomed there, and I know that. But again, I have a responsibility to take, um, take my power and use it in whatever way I see fit. So if the political consulting and lobbying taught me anything, and it taught me many things, it was, I have power that I can use, but I have to use it differently than the guys are using it. Got it. So this is why it makes it difficult not to use the word should, because if I had to phrase that question differently, I would have said, Patty, how should a male entrepreneur interact differently with a female entrepreneur than a male entrepreneur? And I think your answer was, in the way I phrased it originally, don't treat them differently. Just treat everybody with respect. I don't care what their gender is. Uh, however, they are different. They're wired different. They have different gifts. They have different ways of going about it. So are there any tips, though, that you would give male entrepreneurs that work with female entrepreneurs on how they can um, help the female entrepreneur on their journey to, to, to on where they need to go? Any tips or advice that you would have for the male population on working with their female counterparts? Sure. And to some extent, you're right in what you said about treating people the same, except I also think there's room for asking, asking questions and getting the information back. If you ignore that information, then you're right back to square one. So you have to ask the question, get the answers, and then act on that. And that's really important. So going back to the tips, let's say for men interacting with women. Again, this is not, I would not consider myself an expert on that. I have an opinion about it, which is when you have an open conversation, when there is a safe environment, it is much more likely that the person you're talking to is, whether they're men or women, they're going to be more open and honest with you. So if they have heard you 
in the coffee room making jokes that are inappropriate for the workplace or making fun of a woman in the office or whatever the situation. If they've heard that and then you come to them and talk about creating a safe work environment, they won't believe you. So your behavior and your thinking and what you say has to be consistent. So either you, are, you want to help women or you don't. Either you're making fun of them and not taking them seriously, or you're working to elevate their voices. Either you're standing up with them or you're not. And there's very little gray space because as women, we don't have the luxury of gray space, right? You're either with us or you're not. And our experience for many, many of us has been you're not. And even when you say you are as men, as leaders, you're not supporting women or we, we interpret it as not being supportive. So it's a challenge because then men feel afraid, yeah. right? And I'm sure you're very hesitant to ask direct questions. So the first piece of that, that I would say, if you're asking for advice, that would be to create a truly safe space and to have open conversations where women can speak up and they start to believe what you're saying. Yep. I appreciate that. And, and, and you're right. You know, still, I, I do believe that whether it's a male or female, open and trusting and safe conversations is important. But I, I, what I'm hearing here is you un, not unique. It's, it's, it, when I reflect back on past experiences, uh, you know, one of our guests, Michael Alasso, talks a lot about micro messaging, you know, uh, and, and as in the workplaces, sometimes there are micro messages that maybe are digested differently based on your perspective or your gender and your, how you digest things. And to your point, you know, a joke in the cafeteria could have been by a male or female taken in a certain light that I can't trust this environment. Um, and so, you know, sometimes there's this, those proverbial walking on eggshells, people are, they're nervous to say anything. They're nervous to ask the question because they don't want to offend anybody, male or female for that matter. And that gets a little, that gets very tough. I mean, I, I tell you personally, you mentioned it for, for on the female side of it, that sometimes they don't want to grow their team so much. There's more responsibility with that. You know, unfortunately, as you grow a business, more people, more problems, right? More cultures get clashed and, and not everybody opens the door, respects everybody. And you get more things that are going on. Uh, and it's not easy to digest because things will happen as those cultures start clashing. Um, how do you work with your, uh, the people that you coach on dealing with those tough situations when you say they don't like to have conflict, right? They want to be liked uh, because I, I do see that as one of those areas that can be really uncomfortable for them as the leader of the business to put the hammer down and go, no, 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 no. This is how things are going to be done here. How do you break them out of that uh, mold to have more confidence to address those tough situations and not care if they're liked or not? Well, they'll always care. So I can't help them uncare whether they're liked or not. But what I can do is help them not take things so personally. So one of the dynamics I see all the time is that women will hire and hire and hire 
they feel as though they're understaffed. But when I go in and look, I think they're overstaffed. And then they want to avoid conflict. So they don't ever let anybody leave. They don't fire people, even when they really probably need to. So that is a really common scenario. And one of the ways that I can help them is first looking at the environment. Because male or female, if there isn't a relatively safe environment in the workplace, you have all kinds of problems. That's what we call a toxic workplace. Mm -hmm. So identifying what's really happening in the business in the present time. And from there, I teach communication skills to help them understand how their message is being received. So often we make a big mistake. We think, if I've said it, you got it. Right? It's a super common, it's an everyday occurrence. Yep. And that is almost never the case. There are many different ways you can interpret what I've just said. And my tone of voice, my body language, my eye contact, all of those factor into what I just said. Mm -hmm. So because of that, there are lots of different ways you can interpret it. For guys, you're less likely to take it personally. Like right now, we're having a very intellectual conversation. We're talking conceptually. For women, they often will take it personally first. Then they'll take a step back and they'll think, oh, wait, that wasn't about me. That wasn't meant to hurt my feelings. Yep. But that's not their first reaction. So that's what we have to shift is what is their first reaction? And I want to move them from being so reactive to being responsive. So they can be more proactive. They can actually start a conversation that may be difficult and feel confident that they know how to handle themselves. They know how to handle someone else if the other person gets upset. So there's a lot around communication skills that I teach. And the women that I work with are often technical experts, like accountants, attorneys, engineers, and they often have a strong background in math and not so much in language skills, in communicating effectively, and often have, they struggle to find the right words. And again, the word right, they think there are right words and wrong words, and that's really not the case. So figuring out how I'm comfortable saying something is what I help my clients figure out, how they're comfortable saying something, what, what message they're really trying to communicate so that it's received in a way that is a, feels less risky. Got it. Thank you. Jeff, uh, Rich, this reminds me of uh, Jeff Cohen uh, recently and the conversation we had with him about effective communication. And that means different things to different people. And what you're talking about is not just how they communicate, but how they receive communication. Because I could say something right now, and you both are going to receive it completely different. Uh, and, and sometimes, you know, there's this whole component about communication mm -hmm. when you're emailing or texting, uh, the tonality, and it could be received by somebody as offensive, although you were just asking them if they like the weather today, <laughs> you know? Um, so, you know, there's a lot of, of things in effective communication, but the first thing that came to mind was, Rich, you know, thinking about the Jeff Cohen conversation on how we communicate as people. Agreed. Patty, 
how do men demonstrate support of women in the workplace? You know, it's so, so complicated now because, for example, what I would have advised years ago was have a private conversation. Now everybody's afraid to have a private conversation, especially in person, because it can be misconstrued. And there's so much controversy right now. Everything is controversial. So I still think there's room for a private, honest conversation. And if it's not in person, it's often better because then you don't have to worry about it looks wrong that we're in the office with the door closed, right? Or someone's going to interpret this or whatever they're going to think. So I still think there can be important conversations that need to happen. And when, um, so often when you're in a group meeting, people will defer, men will defer to men. Women will defer to men. It's part of how we've all been conditioned. Very few people give women the opportunity to speak. And so that's a, a first step that you could take to talk to some of the women that you're working with and say, I would like to highlight, I would like you to talk first. I would like for us to make sure that we are paying attention to who is speaking, what they're saying, what they're contributing. What do you think about that? And get the person's opinion and see what they think. And they may say, because there are two different ways to interpret, there are probably a million different ways to interpret that, but two that come to mind are, you don't need to give me the floor, right? I'm offended because you say you, you're going to give me the floor. But the second way is, that's very kind of you to think about an equitable workspace where it doesn't matter if you're male, female. It doesn't matter if you are black, white, Hispanic. It doesn't make any difference. People are people and everyone have, has things to contribute, which is what I believe. I believe I want to live in a world where the word tolerance doesn't exist because we don't need it anymore. So have those conversations with the women that you work with and ask them, how do you feel about that? Also, I'll mention when you're talking to a woman, use think or feel. When you're talking to a man, use believe or think. Those words will resonate better in our society today. So typically when I'm talking to a guy, I don't ask them how they feel about something. I ask them what they believe and what they think. Because most guys can really get that and give a great answer. When I'm talking to a woman, I typically ask, well, how do you feel about that? Or what do you think about that? They understand that and they can give an, a really substantial answer. So I'm thinking about how it's being received and how not only how can I be understood, but how can the other person contribute to this conversation? So that's the whole dynamic that I'm thinking of as I'm communicating. I love how through this conversation, you have been... Um assertive in word choices and the nuances 
in word choices. And John, to your point on Michael Lasso and micro messaging, I find Patty to be just brilliant in the micro messaging of word choices that are selected and what you may be communicating unintentionally and how important that is. Uh, last question I've got for you, Patty, and it, maybe it's more selfish. I hope it resonates with uh, some of our listeners as well. How do you work with women on developing confidence? And the reason I ask is I want to apply some of that work to my children. Uh, my assumption is people are people. And there are stories that we tell that don't serve us. And we need to understand and have higher consciousness of those stories and so forth. And, but it, but it, at some level, kids are different than adults, obviously. But I want to see if I can grab some insight from you on how you work with women on developing confidence in their voice. And then in, in the background, I'm going to be trying to translate, like, what could I do with my kids? Because I want them to be confident in their voice. It's a great question. I have a um, pretty direct answer, and that's structure and simplicity. And it's part of what I teach. So when people feel less confident, it's because they don't have solid ground underneath them. And when you add structure to anything, to a relationship, to a pricing model, to how you deliver your service, how you talk about your service, how you talk about yourself. When you have structure around that, your confidence will naturally increase. It also goes back to practice. You know, if any of your girls are involved in sports, you know that they spend hours and hours and hours practicing and that builds their confidence. So confidence is not something that's like a lever where you just push on the lever and all of a sudden your confidence goes up. It's a process. And the more expertise you have, the more you master something like a sport, the more you practice, the more confident you will feel, and then you will start to project that. And some of that comes with practice as well. So your speaking skills, the how comfortable you are to speak in public. Lots and lots of people are not comfortable to speak in public, and that becomes an acquired skill. So that's what I would say with your kids is to start with structure around specific things. And again, going back to that sports analogy, there's that's exactly what it's based on. They have practice at a specific time on a specific day. It's repetitive. They have the same coaches. They have the same team. They, they, the whole scenario is structured. My youngest son played football in high school. And I, I can't say I was thrilled about him playing football because I knew he could get hurt. But the discipline that he learned from that has served him remarkably. And that discipline builds confidence. And you start to believe that you really can do what you think you can do. So that's what I think is so helpful for kids as they're growing up is structure and simplicity. It doesn't have to be a big plan and all, you know, with lots of complex ins and outs. The simpler, the better. 
Patty, I'm just the type of dad that I'm going to take some of this maybe this week or this weekend and uh, maybe have each of the kids and my wife and I will do it too, kind of stand up in front of the family and everybody will have a special drink. So the kids will have their Shirley Temple and my wife and I will have our drinks and maybe we'll just do a little show together where almost like an improv show. Hey, we'll throw out one word to you and you have to tell a story about that word. That's an example of something where I think I can work with my kids to practice um, speaking confidently. Uh, and it's a little bit of structure to it. And it's very simple. So I definitely got my outcome from that. Thank you, Patty. That's Wonderful. Sounds, definitely sounds like a fun game and something that uh, Rich was right up your alley. Um, you know, Patty, there's a couple of things you said that I want to come back to and something you didn't say that I wanted to probe into real quick. You had said earlier when you need to have a conversation with a counterpart um, that sometimes it's better not in person. Uh, that's the first time I ever hear that. I actually hear a lot of, oh, this Zoom world, I'm tired of the Zoom world. I wish we could just get back to the office and everybody get back together. Um, tell me a little bit more about that. I understand why you're saying it, but isn't that kind of enabling the fear aspect of we can't sit down as two civilized people and have a conversation anymore? So let's go back to what we talked about a few minutes ago that in every relationship, each person has a responsibility. Yeah. And if both parties want to meet in person and both parties are comfortable to do that, that's fantastic. But often, the, and the original question was if it's a man and a woman. Mm -hmm. And part of the challenge is if you go into an office and close the door, a man and a woman, there is some kind of sexual innuendo or tension, or it could start a rumor, and no one wants that to be the case. That is also why if a company is firing someone, they always have a third person in the room. Yep. So because of the society that we live in, and because of those fears, that's why sometimes having those difficult conversations when they're not in person takes away that awkwardness or that fear that somehow this is going to be interpreted as sexual. Yeah, understood. Yeah, and it, and it's it, it it makes sense. I mean, I I, I understand it. I, I I hesitate to say I love it because it takes away from the environment that a male and a female colleague cannot get in an office and have a real conversation professionally, respectfully, open and safely without other people having, and this kind of goes back to your point earlier that everything's just so full of controversy. It, you know, it's just, there's too much. And, and you said, I want to live in a world where the word tolerance does not exist. How does that happen? I wish I had that answer. I don't know how that happens, but that's what I dream of because there I do believe people are people and everyone has value and we have value in so many different ways. I mean, that's the cool thing about being a human is that we have so much potential and so much creativity and we can help each other in so many ways. And yet there is so much violence and pain and suffering around the world. Mm. So I don't know that I will 
have the the privilege of living in a world where the word tolerance doesn't exist, but it's certainly an aspiration for me. I appreciate that, and uh, hope it should be an aspiration for us all. Um, there's there's a, a good John. Point. It it's not that it should be. We <laughs> want okay to have that world. Good point. Good point. So uh, there's a saying that I believe you subscribe to because I'm reading it off of your profile, which is transformation does not come from learning things. It comes from taking action. So if you're a female entrepreneur executive listening to this, what action should they take? There are, well, of course, I would say you can reach out to me. I would love to connect with you on LinkedIn, or you can go to my website at theblockgroup.net. And I also have a quiz that will help you determine the roadblocks that are in your way when it comes to generating revenue. The, the answer that I want to share is one of the things that's the hardest for us as women is to recognize our value. And once we recognize it, then we have to talk about it. And that feels like bragging. And we're raised not to brag and not to talk about ourselves. And we have a saying here in Texas, which is where I'm based, and that is, it's not bragging if it's true. And I really believe that. And as women, you have achieved, you have triumphed, you have gone far in your career or building your business. You've proven yourself a million times over. So we need to stop worrying about proving ourselves and focus on talking about the real value that we bring to our clients, to our communities. Women have the power, but we don't always recognize it and use it. So the first step in my view is make sure that you have a community around you that is truly supportive and not just like a cheerleader supportive, but supportive in honesty and giving you feedback. I think when we get feedback, it's a gift. It's not personal. It's not a criticism. It's a gift. And make sure you surround yourself with people that you trust, they trust you, and they are supporting you. And when you've done that, then you can take steps to start recognizing your real value and how you can communicate that. And if part of that is reaching out to me, I would be honored. Great. We really appreciate that. And uh, I don't know if your quiz is openly available where people can fill that out. And if it is, we'll share that with our listeners. Patty, thank you very much for your time and uh, everything you shared with us here today. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for having me. This has been an awesome conversation. Please stick around for a few more minutes while Rich and I break down this episode. John, I felt like we got busted and then I busted you once uh, (laughs) on the what should happen and and you know the the funny quote is that i've heard you uh shooting on people is not the right thing to do um but we got busted on what should and what a powerful conversion of stop thinking about what should happen or what should you do or what should someone want on these phantom expectations of should like should where did should even come from it's what do you want? And I think there's a transition that I know I could use because it, she mentioned it more than once to me. And it, what should happen is definitely in 
my language. And I would like to, I want to work that out. Yeah, you know, we talked a lot about, because she's an expert in it, the women's stereotypes, the gifts that women have, how women communicate and receive communication. But in the end, Rich, what you just said, I think was the biggest takeaway for me, which is what do two people want the communication to be? How do you create that open and safe and trusting environment? It doesn't matter the gender of the people, uh, their sexuality preferences, their religion, their race, their gender. It doesn't matter. What do two people want in the relationship? Focus on that. Where it gets more complex is when you add the third, fourth, fifth person in the room, and now you're part of a group and everybody wants something different. And that's where leadership becomes a little more difficult because you don't know to your point uh, that, that she made, which I thought was awesome, is if you ask someone to speak up because you want them to feel included, maybe they're feeling, oh my gosh, they put me on the spot because of my race, or they put me on the spot because of this or that. You really need to think through as a leader these days, because of all the controversy that we talk about, every single word you use and every single micro message you provide, which again, great example. I mean, she was an excellent model for us of word selection and how you select the words you use is going to really be a reflection of how people receive your communication. Love that. Well, I loved your question and I loved her answer on how to approach women in the workspace. Um, even when it came to like the opening the doors as the example that I brought up and it was just ask in a direct manner. One of the things that I wrote down that I highlighted and circled in red was ask about wants instead of make assumptions. I think I could do better at that. And sometimes I almost feel like, like I try to outsmart myself and try to take a shortcut because I know the person and generally this and generally they, and I think I could do better at validating uh, someone's wants by asking them about what they want instead of making assumptions. Yeah. You know what we do infrequently as leaders too, Rich, is you know how sometimes just things don't come out of your mouth the way they should. And then this is not a male-female thing. This is just you're talking to a colleague and something after the conversation just doesn't feel right. Um, the ability for one of those leaders to then say to the other, hey, remember on Tuesday at the end of the conversation, I said, ABC, how was that received? How did you receive that? Be honest with me. like, Because I kind of felt that it didn't go so well. And just even post-mortem asking, how was this communication I gave? How was that received by you? And what would you like to see different next time? Is such a, a great communication trait to learn. Because you may, even if you thought it went great, they may not have thought it went so great. So always asking for feedback. And you know, one thing that she mentioned is feedback is a gift. Uh, you know, ask for feedback as a leader in terms of how certain situations, certain words, or certain micro messages were received by your colleagues creates that open and safe environment because they know you welcome the feedback. Yeah. And in encouraging that feedback, I think in addition to gender, some of the stuff that she was talking about included communication style, introverts and extroverts. I think I, I was going to say we, but I want to speak for myself because I want to own my, uh, my behavior. I think I can do better at crafting these equitable workspace conversations that include 
communication style where extroverts are not of preference in a conversation uh, that include gender, that include race, that include and just have an equitable workspace conversation for all people to come as they are and feel safe while they do it. One of the things that she said was a safe environment. You'll know you have a safe environment when people are just open and honest. And it made a ton of sense. If it's not a safe environment, people won't be open and honest. And what she called that was a toxic environment. And I think sometimes uh, we, I could run the risk of not having a safe environment through simple facilitation things that I do or don't do um, that are being misinterpreted uh, as having intention. And last thing I'll say, I think it was cool in terms of the misinterpreted and the perception thing. She made it very clear. We can't control perception. Correct. We can set the environment to be a safe environment, but we cannot control perception. So she, I think, twice over the course of the conversation pointed out an example of something that could have been taken really positively and then something that could have been taken really negatively. And there were two, and it was like, yeah, both are true. Yeah, Yeah. depending on who the person is, you might get roasted for doing that. And depending on who the person is, they might come and say, thank you so much. We can't control that. All we can control is setting up a safe environment and an equitable workspace as a leader in the conversations that we're part of.